Well, hey, good morning, everybody. Well, thanks for being at LifePoint today. If you're here for the first time, thanks for coming today. My name is Donnie Williams. I'm one of the pastors here, and I would love to meet you after the service. If you could just come down front and introduce yourself, and we dismiss in a little while, that would be great. So I grew up in this really small town, a single-parent home, and my mom would ask me questions occasionally that sounded something like this. Where were you last Thursday night? And I would say, can you give me a little more information? <laughs> because I might need to develop an alibi really quick on the fly. You know, some questions can really be scary. And we're going through this series about questions. It's called The Question That Never Goes Away. And from the time we're toddlers and the first start to speak and ask questions about the world around us, to all the way up to the elderly who may look at life and say, why did it go so fast? Life is full of questions. And we've dealt with some pretty significant questions in this series, like, why don't I feel God in my life? Or, why am I even here? Or, why didn't God answer my prayer? You've probably asked all of those questions, and if you've missed any of this series, just get on our website, click on resources, and you can get caught up with the things that we've talked about. Anybody deal with insecurities in their life? Anybody? I, I do. I mean, for, for some people, insecurities, it's a paralyzing thing. For others of us, it's just a, a nuisance that might be in our life. But every week, I, I've, I deal with this insecurity when I'm writing down what I'm going to say. Because every time I'm thinking, does anybody even want to hear this? Are people going to be yawning and looking at their watches more than what I'm talking about? Or is this something that people even need to hear? Is it going to help somebody take a step? So that little insecurity is always there. Some people deal with much more difficult insecurities that paralyze them. The insecurity of maybe never measuring up, never being good enough. The insecurity that maybe somebody's going to find out about your past or the insecurity of not forgiving yourself for something that you've done. And all of those insecurities can lead to this big question in life, which is, why would God use me? Why would God use somebody as messed up and as inconsistent, as temperamental as me? You know, as you read through God's Word, you read stories of a lot of stories of hope and redemption, but you also read stories of murderers and prostitutes and evil kings and liars and cowards and uneducated groups of people. And all of those people that I just mentioned have something in common. They were all used by God to accomplish great things. So if you've ever asked the question, why would God use me in my messed up, regret-filled life? Well, you're in really good company because that seems to be the kind of people that God says, you're the kind of person I can use. You've messed up a lot. Well, great. I can use you a lot. You've got a lot of regrets. I can turn that into a story that can help change the world. When I first started, when I first became a follower of Christ, it wasn't long till people started saying, hey, Donnie, you should be a leader. You're a leader. You, you should lead. And pe people follow you. And I'm like, do they know what they're doing? I mean, are you sure they want to do that? 
And then it wasn't long till the comments started coming, you know what, you should, do, you should be a pastor. And I'm thinking, no way that's going to happen. I couldn't get up and talk to people every week. I, could, I couldn't do that. It would drive me crazy. And I remember just saying, no way, it's not going to happen. So I started on this other career path, but it wasn't long until where there, there was this specific moment in a specific place when God finally broke through my insecurities and said, I value you, and this is how I'm going to use you. And at that point is when I said, okay, I guess all what I've been hearing for these last few years at that time in my life was where you want me to go. And many of you might be there that, at a place where God wants to do something with your life, but you're just not open to it. You're not open to it because you're, you know, just wanting to rebel against God, but you're not open to it because of your insecurities thinking, why would God use me? Because I make mistakes. And maybe you've never heard anybody your entire life say something like, hey, I believe in you. You can do this. You can really accomplish something. You may, you may have never heard that. You may have had a childhood that prevented you from hearing things like that. I didn't hear that a lot growing up. That's why when Cinda and I became parents, I can remember thinking, our children are going to know that we believe in them that we're going to invest in them and they're going to accomplish something in life, however big or small, but they're never going to be able to say, nobody said, I believe in you. And I think that's why most people ask the question, why would God use me? Why would God use me? See, we live in a world that says, if you produce, if you perform, then you have value. If you can perform on the field, if you can produce uh, academically, if you can win at work, then you're worth something. Then you can accomplish something. And that leaves us with the idea, if I perform well, then I'm worth something. If I don't perform, then what? That's not worth anything. Why would God use somebody like me? So we're going to look at what God's Word has to say about that question. There's some Bibles coming down the aisles right now. If you don't have one, just raise your hand. The ushers will give you one of those. You can keep it, you can borrow it, and you can also just look on the screen as I read and we discover what God thinks about us. In the New Testament book of Ephesians, the Apostle Paul was writing to this church that's full of brand new followers of Christ, and he's wanting to communicate to them their value as followers of Christ. And he says these words, for we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so that we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. And he's telling them and he's telling us, you're a masterpiece to God. That word for masterpiece, the New Testament was originally written down in Greek and then translated into English much, much later. So that original word that's translated masterpiece in English is a word that's pronounced poiema, and it's a product designed for a specific purpose. It's where we get our English word poem or poetry. So think about it like this. 
God has a poem. God has a story that he wants to write with your life. It's his story and your life, and he wants to join those two things together. That's what God thinks about you. Whether or not you've ever heard anybody say you're valuable, you can accomplish great things, you can make a difference in the world, God believes that because he wants to write poetry with your life. No matter how old, how young, how rich, how poor, no matter what your background is, no matter where you come from, no matter what you've done, no matter how many regrets are behind you, God says, hey, you're my masterpiece. That's why I can use you. Because I'm going to take all the stuff that's in your life and I'm going to write a story with it. So you don't have to measure up on the success scale. You just have to reach this awareness that God, through Christ, wants to write a story with your life. And over and over throughout history, God has used messed up people to accomplish great things. So then Jesus comes along onto the scene in the first century, and he's a rabbi, he's on his own, and he's teaching, and he begins to call people to help him out. He begins to call people to help him take this message of love and grace and redemption to the world. And you would think, well, he's going to go to some professionals that know how to do that. If you've got a new product that you want to market, you're going to go to the people who know social media. You're going to go to the people who are trained. You're going to go to the people who know exactly how to do it. That's not Jesus' plan. Jesus went not to the religious schools. He didn't go to the religious elite. He didn't go to even in religious circles when he was starting to call the people to follow him. The people that would help get his word to a lost world. He didn't go to the people who had studied how to do that their whole life. He didn't go to the religious elite of the day and say, oh, I need your help. <laughs> I really got to have some help here. Uh, you guys are really smart, so I need you to help me take this message. It's clear where Jesus went. It's recorded in the book of Matthew chapter 4, one of the episodes when Jesus started calling people to help him take his message to the world. In Matthew chapter 4, verse 18, it says this, one day as Jesus was walking along the shore of the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, also called Peter, and Andrew, throwing a net into the water, for they fished for a living. Jesus called out to them, come, follow me, and I will show you how to fish for people. And they left their nets at once and followed him. Now today we would call that irresponsible. You're just going to stop what you're doing? Are you crazy? Don't you have a mortgage? Don't you have debt? Don't you have uh, income that you have to produce to take care of your family? What in the world could have been behind Jesus' words that would make them stop and go follow him? And he goes on and calls other people the same way to get his inner circle that would help him spread his message and create this group of people that were dedicated, even to the point of death, to his mission. What would have been so powerful that would make that? Is there anything in your life that you wouldn't just stop doing like that if you were convinced that Jesus is asking you to do it? If you were 100% convinced this is God asking me to do it, is there anything that you wouldn't just stop like that? Or would you find yourself saying, I don't know, that sounds a little irresponsible just to like take off and leave. To understand why these Men did this. You have to understand a lot about 
or a little bit about the Jewish culture that they were living in. See, this culture was very, very focused on education. Education was a top priority, much like it is today. If you have a kid and they're getting ready to go to preschool, you're going to find the best preschool, right? You're not just going to pick any random one. You're going to find out, well, what curriculum do you use? Because I want to know. And some of you say, hey, I can do better than all that. I'm just going to do that myself at home. You, you make that decision based on your child, based on your family's needs and desires, and, and you think, I'm going to educate them this way so they can get to this place in life, so they can get to that place in life, and we have a big focus on education. That's okay. That's the same thing they did. But the way they focused on education revolved around this body of work, this write, these writings called the Torah. Now, if you have one of those Bibles or any Bible, uh, the Torah is in there. The Torah was the, is the first five books of the New Testament, Genesis, or Old Testament, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, first five books, and all of their lives revolved around the Torah. And they would say things like, as you learn more Torah, it's so central to your life, the more you know of it, the better your life will go. The more you obey it, the better your life will go. And so their whole goal in life was to take these little kids and make sure they knew the Torah inside and out. Those fishermen would have once been little kids who were taught the Torah, and the way it would have happened, somewhere between the ages of 6 and 10, they would take these kids to the synagogue, and they would start their first level of education, which was simply memorizing the first five books, or the five books, which, is, which are our first five books of the Old Testament. All of Genesis, all of Leviticus, all, I mean all of Exodus, all of Leviticus, all of Numbers, and all of Deuteronomy. Memorized, six to ten years old. Now, some of these kids were really sharp. Not only could they they memorized what was said and what they read, they could talk about it. They could teach others about it. They could expound upon it. They could contemplate what it might mean. And so they would take these group, this group of kids, and they would say, "We want to take you to the next level of education." And they would pull them out of the just the regular kids, and they would pull them out and say, "We want to take you further because hey, you've got value. You're really smart." And and what we're going to do by age 14, we're going to have you memorize the entire Old Testament. That's 39 books. There's only 27 in the New Testament, so a lot, a lot more books that they had to remember. Now, we used to have 14-year-olds in our house. Uh, they can't remember where their shoes go. They can't remember to put the milk back. You know, it's like they don't even, they, don't, they can't even close the top on the cereal box and, and keep it from getting stale. But there were some kids that they said, hey, you really got what it takes. You can, you can memorize all that. And, and we, want you to, we want you to move to this next level of education. And about then is when the line started to be drawn. And then they would take this group and say, well, the best of the best not that you just memorized it, but you know a lot about it. There, there's something special about this kid. And then a rabbi would look at that kid and he would say, you know, I think you can do what I do. And he would show up at the kid's house. He would knock on the door. Oftentimes they didn't know he was showing up. And he would look at that kid and he would say, come and follow me. Which meant, I believe in you. I think you can do what I do. And immediately that kid would get all of his belongings and he would go learn under that rabbi. And so when Jesus comes up to these guys that were fishing, it meant that at some point, because only the elite got to hear, come follow me, at some point, somebody would have sat them down and said, hey, have you ever thought about fishing? 
maybe for a living? Because the education thing's not really working out for you. How about you just take up the family business? Nothing wrong with fishing, but they're just, what they're really saying is, you're not good enough. These other kids, wow, they're great. We're going we're gonna to say, come follow me, and they're going to become rabbis. You guys just, maybe you should go fish. Maybe you should pick, you know, kind of sweat of your brow kind of work because the academics are not your friend. And if they're fishing, it means that somewhere, sometimes somebody said, you're not good enough. And I bet there's people in this room that you grew up in a house where you were always made to feel like you weren't good enough, where you never measured up. Maybe you're there right now. Maybe you're with a spouse or some other relationship that you always feel like, I just don't measure up. I'm just not good enough. Maybe your group of friends make you feel like that. Maybe in school you feel like that. I'm just not good enough. Well, if that's you and you're dealing with those insecurities, write this, write this down. Listening to what others think about me is the quickest way to forget what God thinks about me. If you listen to what everybody else says about you, that's a quick way to forget what God thinks about you. You know what God thinks about you? You're his masterpiece. You're his poem that he's writing. And just like that rabbi would show up at those little boys' homes and knock on the door and say, come and follow me, Jesus says the same to us. When he says, follow me, he's saying, I believe that you can do what I do. I believe that you can be an example to the world. No matter what others have told you about yourself, I can use you. What you believe about yourself, it's not true. And if you read the rest of that story, Immediately, they started following Jesus and started accomplishing great things and inviting other people in on the journey, and they started making a difference. And the same thing is available to us. So no wonder they left everything, because finally somebody believed in them. And maybe you need to leave some comfort zones you've been living in because God says, I believe in you, and i got a big story to write with your life. If you're not yet a follower of Christ, I hope these words, just they help push you over the edge to say, I'm following somebody that believes in me, that believes I can make a difference. See, some people never get to experience that because they've just never stepped out. What if I had never listened? What if I had never taken that risk and stepped out and said, Okay, everybody seems to think, and, and God seems to be revealing to me that this is what I'm supposed to do. What if I'd never stepped out? Because you'll never find out how much God can use you until you step out of where you're comfortable or step out of your insecurities. There's a story in the ministry of Jesus where uh, his disciples are out in this boat, and it's late at night, and a storm comes up, and the boat's moving around, and then Jesus literally walks on the water from the shore out to the boat. And as they see this happening, one of the disciples, Peter, speaks up and says this, as he sees Jesus walking on the water, Lord, if it's really you, tell me to come to you walking on the water. Yes, come, Jesus said. So Peter went over to the side of the boat and walked on the water toward Jesus. And other than Jesus, Peter is the only person who walked on water. I've never seen it recorded anywhere else that somebody just walking across the water. But he would have never done that had he not taken the step. Because there were 11 others in the boat that didn't. 
But Peter was the one that said, I, I'm just going to find out. Can I walk on water? This totally defies the laws of physics and everything I know. Jesus is doing it. Uh, I'm going to see if I can do it. And he stepped out and he started walking towards Jesus. He had some issues after that, but he, he started walking towards Jesus. He actually took a few steps on water and he would have never known if it was possible if he had stayed where it was comfortable, if he had stayed in the boat. And many of you have probably been in a spiritual comfort zone for way too long. And it's time to take a step to find out how God can use you to make a big difference. Why would God use somebody that makes mistakes and messes up and, and, and has regret, can't tell the truth or lets people down? Why would God use people like that? Because those are the stories he loves to write. Taking somebody from where they are in their messed up state and using them anyway to make a difference in the world. That's what God specializes in. So you're never too far gone. You're never too many mistakes into it to say, God, use me. Because God uses messed up people. God uses broken people. God uses people who are full of regret. God uses people who can't get their act together. God uses people who are unqualified. God uses people whose insecurities get the best of them at times. God uses people who may look back at their life and say, yes, I've made a mess of this. And God says, but I can fix that. I can make you a masterpiece. You're my, you're my poem. I let, let me write it. And it's time to just step out and let God use you in ways he never has before. And you won't find out if you never take that step. Now, for some of you, that means being a dad like you've never been a dad before. It means taking a risk, doing things you never thought you'd do. For some of you moms, it means the same thing for you. Couples, it means something for you. Step out like you've never stepped out before. Maybe there's something in your life and you just thought, okay, I've always kind of felt that direction, but eh, I'm not really sure. Maybe for you, you have sat on a church seat for years. And every time we say, get involved with this, do that, you see an opportunity, just something makes you hold back a little bit. You will never know how God can use you until you take that step. And so what if you fail? That's the kind of people God likes to use anyway. So no matter what, when you step out, you can't lose. You, you, it, it, will, it will be better from that point forward because God will be writing his story in your life. So big decisions you're facing or something that just is, is within you says, I've got to do this, do it. Don't let your insecurities get the best of you because God wants to continue to write his story. I mean, the story starts with Jesus. And if you've never taken that step and said, I, I believe in him, I trust him, I want to give my life to him, but something's keeping me from it, hopefully knowing that he specializes in messed up people and those are the people he goes for first, that's all throughout scripture. The messed up's the place he starts because he sees the potential that's inside of every person. Every guy in that boat that day could have walked on the water, but only one had the courage to say, hey, I'm going to take a step. Let's see what happens. Be that person. So can God use you? Why would God use you? Why? Well, because you're his masterpiece. Because he wants to create a great big story with your life. Let's pray. God, thank you for the reminder 
of the kind of people you choose. Thank you for the reminder through the ministry of Jesus and what we read about him that you go to those who feel like they have nothing to offer to show them how valuable they are. And I pray today that the words that came from you, the words that I spoke and read, that it would encourage people to just take a step and find out how you can use them. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.